performing higher in math than any other school with a high percentage of students in poverty in the metro area. In 2010, the Cedar Riverside Community School was called a beat the odd school. But it didn't last. From the Minnesota Reformer, this is Reformer Radio. I'm Max Nesterak. Minnesota was the first state to create charter schools in 1991 with the aim of improving education through competition. 30 years later, and one third of the state's charter schools have closed. To charter school advocates, that's a good thing. They say that it it shows that the system is working. The idea is to innovate and try new things and see if they work, and if the school isn't working, to shut it down. This week, The Sahan Journal's Becky Dernbach charts the rise and fall of one of the country's first charter schools and how its failure affected the students who went there. It's Friday, July 23rd. Becky Dernbach, let's start with the start of charter schools. Why were they invented? So there was this push throughout the 1980s um, for more innovation in education, and that came out of a couple of things. Um, This is the Reagan era. It's the Cold War. There's a push for deregulation in all things, but there's also this, this fear of falling behind other countries. My fellow Americans, I'd like to talk with you today about a subject of paramount concern to every American family, the education of our children. You may have heard the disturbing report this week, but the national... There's this uh, report that comes out that uh, says that kids are getting swept up in a rising tide of mediocrity. The study indicates the quality of learning in our classrooms has been declining for the last two decades, a fact which won't surprise many parents or the students educated during that period. That may or may not be true, but it caused a lot of fear and anxiety and desire to, to, to change things up. And there was this this growing push that we need um, schools to be able to do more innovation and to break the government monopoly on public education. But the focus of our agenda is, as it must be, to restore parental choice and influence and to increase competition between schools. And so this movement gained a lot of traction in Minnesota. This bill is, an, is a sort of a natural extension of uh, open enrollment. Um, the choice legislation passed in 1988 and, and provided greater access to choices. And now what I think we need to do is to build better choices and more choices. And then Governor Arnie Carlson signed the country's first charter school law um, in June of 1991. So after this law passes allowing charter schools to be created in 1991, what happens? Yeah, so the first uh, charter school in the country is created in St. Paul City Academy. It's still open. Uh, That's in 1992. Um, And one of the innovations here is the idea that teachers should theoretically have more power to to run the school. Um, They eventually start spreading across the country, but first they spread in Minnesota. When I was first elected president, there was only one charter school in the entire country. This year, there'll be more than 1,700 of them. We're well on our way to meeting my goal of establishing 3,000 charter schools nationwide in the first year of the new century. Some of these schools are designed um, for different student groups that have been maybe um, not the focus of traditional public education. And so that means that a lot of charter schools cater to different ethnic groups that may not be served well in a traditional public school system. And so many charter schools um, are specifically designed to serve students of color. 
And so nationally, overall today, more than 3 million students go to charter schools. In Minnesota, um, there are about 170 charter schools in the state um, enrolling more than 60,000 students. So that's 7% of all public school students in Minnesota. Um, and that's about on par with national numbers. It's about 7% of students, public school students nationally go to charter schools. Um, but so back in that first wave of growth, one of the very first schools created was the Cedar Riverside Community School in Minneapolis. And that school really illustrates both the promise and peril of charter schools. So tell me about the Cedar Riverside Community School. Yeah, so it's founded in 1993. It's the fifth charter school ever founded in, in both the state and the country. And it was designed to serve um, what its founders called Minneapolis Ellis Island, hmm. um, the immigrant communities in Cedar Riverside, and specifically the families who lived in the Cedar Riverside Towers. And uh, the first year was kind of a mess. Um, it was um, there was some financial mismanagement, and um, it was a it was a rocky start, and they had trouble getting off the ground. But by 2010, it had really hit its stride. Um, the Star Tribune ranked it as a, a beat-the-odds school. Um, they were performing higher in math than any other school with a high percentage of students in poverty wow. in the metro area. Um, and they were also scoring well in, in reading. And the Star Tribune asked the director at the time um, what the secret to their success was. And he talked about parent involvement because so many students lived in the same building where they went to school. It was easy for their families to be involved. And so they they were in the know about all the students' field trips. They went on a lot of field trips in those days. Um, they were able to to help with reading and math and participate in parent-teacher conferences and and um, learn about the service learning that their kids were doing and really just like be very involved in the school and help their kids learn at home too. And parents will, will talk really fondly about those days still. Hmm. So it seems like the school is really living up to the promise of charter schools of providing a quality education for kids who are otherwise not being served well by public schools. Yeah, at that time, um, but it didn't last. What happened? Well, over the decade, there was a series of leadership changes at the school. Um, test scores fell pretty dramatically. Um, they went from 76% math proficiency um, at their peak in, in 2010 to 20% in 2019. And so um, they had a director who um, resigned abruptly, and they eventually hired a, a new executive director named Bert Strasberg. And who is Bert Strasberg? All right. Well, good evening, um, parents, community members, and staff of Cedar Riverside Community School. I'm Bert Strasberg. I'm the executive director. So he had previously been the leader of a charter school in Woodbury, the interim leader of a charter school there. And before that, he was a superintendent up in Onamia, which is up by Lake Mille Lacs and has, has a large Native American population. And he left the Onamia Public Schools um, in a payout agreement, the details of which are uh, not totally clear. Um, so he arrives at Cedar Riverside Community School, and he seems like a, a mild-mannered guy um, who just like has a very calm demeanor. And I'm very excited that you have taken the opportunity to join us tonight. Um, the whole reason we exist as a school um, is to serve our students and families. And um, thank you for trusting us with your children's education. 
Um, he also, um, he and his husband run a psychic business and they, they do mm. psychic readings mm-hmm. and they um, they run a, a crystal and metaphysical shop in South Minneapolis. Okay, interesting. Yeah, kind of a, an unusual hobby for a school director. So um, he arrives on the scene in August 2018 and he is tasked with his mandate for change. And like any healthy organization, we always want to continue to, to do better. And, and things always change. And so there will be some continued changes at CRCS as we move into the future. So he gets to work making making some changes. And one of the biggest changes that he makes is a staffing shakeup. So by July 2020, every teacher who had been at the school longer than two years had left. And either they were fired or their contract wasn't renewed um, where they they voluntarily left, um, and some were some were upset about the way they saw they perceived their colleagues being treated. But the result is um, complete teacher turnover, one hundred percent teacher turnover. Wow! So in the second year of Strasburg's tenure, mm-hmm. he has an entirely new faculty. Yes. Well, this does seem to fit into the original vision for charter schools, and that there's this teacher accountability and that if the school is failing, a leader can come in and make lots of big changes to try and turn it around. Yeah, but 100% teacher turnover is extreme Mm -hmm. and um, causes a lot of instability. Um, What parents told me is that he didn't make a distinction between the good teachers and the bad teachers, and he just Mm -hmm. got rid of all of them. And... That those teachers who were gone had a familiarity with refugee life um, and with refugee kids, and they felt like the new teachers who came were less experienced. Um, And they also felt like they didn't really have a voice in the process, and that's what they had liked about the school is feeling like they had a voice, and they didn't feel like they had that. So there is a lot of loss of trust. Parents start a petition to the school's authorizer, which is the nonprofit that provides oversight. In this case, it's Pillsbury United Communities. Um, And they're also filing formal complaints with Pillsbury, which they are required to investigate. And what parents are asking for is a new director and a new school board. The school board is a majority. um, A majority of the school board members are teachers. And um, some are parents, some are community members, but a majority are teachers. So when there's high teacher turnover, that also leads to high board turnover. Um, And it also sort of effectively gives the director um, the power to fire the board members who are supposed to be a check on the director. Hmm. So he's shaking things up. Parents don't seem happy, which seemed to be the school's biggest asset. Is there any evidence these changes pay off? Uh, the short answer is no. I mean, if you asked him, he would say, we didn't get a chance to see how our changes were going to work. Um, but um, things are already rocky. And then COVID-19 comes in and shuts down schools across the state. Distance learning is suddenly a thing. Everyone is trying to figure out on their feet what that means. A lot of districts are putting together virtual learning plans. Um, but at a school like Cedar Riverside Community School, there aren't enough computers for all the students. And there's also not a lot of confidence that the students' families know how to use the computers, which some of the families didn't take kindly to. Hmm. Um, so um, so instead of providing students with computers, they provide the students with, with worksheet packets. So paper packets. Yeah. 
so meanwhile, parents are looking around and seeing, you know, well, these other kids we know go to Minneapolis public schools. They're getting computers. Why are our kids different? Why are our kids not getting the same treatment? But so parents have already been like the school has already been in an enrollment decline um, since 2017. Um between 2017 and 2020, enrollment dropped by almost half. Hmm. But then that really accelerated um, after the pandemic. So there's this flood of students leaving the school. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Yeah, so Pillsbury United Communities, the authorizer, has been keeping an eye on things at the school, has been talking to parents who are calling them with complaints. Uh, we've, Pillsbury United, uh, received numerous complaints uh, from, from parents, community, uh, even teachers, um, there were interventions um, that were uh, implemented. But they only have so much power to exact changes um, because charter schools are given so much autonomy. But the, the major power authorizers do have is that they can shut down the school. And so that's what Pillsbury decides to do. There was, there was, no, there was no other option but, but school closure. And how do parents and students feel about this decision to shut down the school? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, opinions are mixed and parents are certainly not a monolith. I think, you know, some some parents have really been agitating for change and have been saying, if you can't give us a new director and a new school board, then yes, shut down the school. Um, and some have been saying, we want leadership changes, but we we don't want to shut down the school. Um, and some have never expressed problems with the quality of education at all. Hmm. What I heard from parents overwhelmingly is they wanted there to be a school there and they wanted it to be a high quality school. Um, and it's disruptive for kids to have to change schools and it can have a negative impact on their their education. It doesn't always, but but it can. What does the rise and fall of the Cedar Riverside Community School tell us about charter schools and their mission to disrupt and improve public education. Yeah, so the school had um, some unique circumstances um, and unique challenges. Like every school is different, but I think there are some things um, that it illuminates on on charter schools more more broadly. I think that it illustrates both um, what the vision for success can look like at its height, living out what the idea that we can innovate and make schools do things different and serve certain communities in different ways. Um, but then I think that the way that the school collapsed illustrates, depending on how you look at it, either um, strengths or weaknesses of the accountability process. Um, there were so many sets of eyes on that school trying to intervene and make changes and rescue the school for the families who depended on it. Pillsbury was sending all kinds of letters asking the school to make changes, in some cases requiring the things they were able to require. Um, the Minnesota Department of Education was monitoring Pillsbury and its work as an authorizer and asking it to make some changes in the way that it's overseeing its charter schools. And the school board didn't hold an election for two years, so there was no way for the for the community to to vote for different people to be making the decisions. So... Um, Depending on how you look at it, that can show that it's really hard to make changes in a charter school um, that needs help. But some people see that as a strength. 
because they that in the end Pillsbury did have the power to close the school, and they did. Hmm. And how common is it for charter schools to close? It's pretty common. Well, parents and students are stunned when a charter school abruptly closes two full months into the school year. Parents are wondering what's next. Many of their students spent a long time trying to finally feel at home. Right, Step Academy is on its last legs. Last night, the St. Paul School Board voted unanimously to end its sponsorship of the charter school. 300 students are affected by the closing. I got data from the Minnesota Department of Education, and I found that one in three charter schools ever to open in Minnesota have closed. Wow. And how do proponents of charter schools view this fact that so many of them close? Well, they say it's a strength. They say that it it Hmm. shows that the system is working. The idea is to innovate and try new things and see if they work and if the school um, isn't working to shut it down. And that's something that is, is distinct from public schools, right? Like public schools will sometimes close, um, but it's, it's not as common. And so to say that, you know, if a school isn't working to shut it down is, um, is in, in some ways to charter school advocates a sign of, of success. But the people who are affected by those closures are children. So like the effects, the research shows sort of mixed effects on children, it can have a really detrimental effect on their education and on other things in their lives. You know, you lose your school friends. You there there are other other destabilizing factors that are you know harder to measure than test scores. Um, but in some cases, children end up doing better after they after they switch to a different school, and that's what charter school advocates want to see that it's an opportunity for students to get a better education at a school that isn't failing. One thing we haven't talked about yet is the issue of school segregation. You mentioned that charter schools often cater to certain ethnic and racial groups. And I wonder how that's squared with laws that are supposed to prevent school segregation. Yeah, so charter schools are actually exempt from the state law around school segregation right now. So Cedar Riverside Community School caters to the Somali community. Hmong College Prep caters to the Hmong community. That is legal because they are charter schools. And charter school advocates um, or parents who are enrolled in many of these schools will tell you that we like this, that this is not segregation isn't necessarily bad. We like culturally affirming environments that are, you know, showing our kids um who who they are and examples of who they can grow up to be and embracing their culture. And that's something we want and that's something we can't get in a traditional public education. Um, but you'll also hear from charter school opponents that 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 I mean that that's inherently embracing segregation and that that is against the law. Um, and there's actually a court battle going on about that right now. There's a lawsuit filed in 2015 that is still making its way through the court system um, that is referred to as Cruz Guzman. That lawsuit, um, a a handful of of families of of color sued the state, um, saying it was violating their right to an equal education. The state Supreme Court said that basically this is a valid thing to sue over and that like kids do have the right to an equal education and that charter schools are probably not exempt from that and sent it back to the lower court to decide. And so that's still making its way through the court. Um, There's a a summary, um, 
judgment hearing in September, and then a trial is scheduled right now for uh, next October of 2022. Um, and that could lead to some changes. Hmm. Where are the students from Cedar Riverside Community School going to go to school this fall? It varies. There's um, a parent advocate I talked to who's been helping families enroll in new schools, um, and he told me he's been there are several different schools he's been trying to match them with. Um, some of them are other charter schools, and some of them are in the Minneapolis public schools. And for a lot of them, you know, some of them have siblings that have already left Cedar Riverside Community School and enrolled in a different charter school, and they'll be joining their siblings this fall. Becky Dernbach, thank you so much. Thank you. You can find Becky Dernbach's reporting on Sahan Journal, a nonprofit newsroom covering Minnesota's immigrants and communities of color. Their website is sahanjournal.com. That's spelled S-A-H-A-N. This show was produced by me, Max Nesterak, and edited by Patrick Kulikin. Special thanks to Johnny Vince Evans, who composed our theme. As always, if you like the show, tell your friends and family to subscribe and leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. You can drop me a line at max at minnesotareformerallspelledout.com. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.